Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 155th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that always makes sure to overlap with the other casts on your content schedule for maximum community value. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host, as always, is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin', and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, James. How are you doing this weekend or this week? It's Tuesday. So, it's so strange to hear you as a disembodied voice and not right at my left hand. Yeah. We uh we met up at Toronto, had a good time. Sold cards, bought cards, all the good stuff. We did we did empty some binders. Yeah. They were uh I noticed a couple of uh the vendors kind of gave us a look when we were kind of poking at them. And I'm like pulling out, pulling out, pulling out, pulling out. It's the same card every time. They're kind of looking at each other like, mm, what a, whoops. <laughs> um, and the one guy, the, the one guy tried to, uh, like I asked for a slight discount on a play set. And he said, if I look it up and it's more, you're going to have to pay more. And yes, I was like, I remember that. And I said, uh, okay, well, go ahead and look it up. And he looked at it and he said, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll give it to you for what we priced it at. And I'm like, that seems reasonable. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's use the pricing that's been established. Sure. And, yeah. and then when, when all was said and done, I asked for the total and he gave me a number that was 100 above what it was supposed to be. And I asked for a double check on that and he had to eat crow. I do, uh, I do remember him making that comment to you about wanting to charge you more. Yeah. Uh, that was the only one though, really out of all of our interactions. Yeah. I, it's always a little awkward when they're like, Oh, uh, what, what are you looking for? And you're just like, just value. <laughs> yeah. Anything that's priced wrong. <laughs> whatever, whatever mm-hmm. seems like it's going to be worth more later. Yeah. It was a good time. Um, uh, I don't know how the I- modern events went. Uh, other than what I heard, because I didn't play in any, because the best EV on Friday morning was just to hop around to the uh, various tables where you could get uh, foil GP promos for $25 entry fees. Um, I already f- flipped both of those out for $40 a piece. Oh, that's pretty nice. Yeah, 25 the- Canadian entry and $40 flip, so US. The... Uh- yeah, the event was the event seemed pretty full, but I mean, there was, I, I didn't notice it on Saturday, but on Sunday I got back to my computer and like nobody knew what was going on, right? Like yeah. Corbin had tweeted out a couple deck lists and Channel Fireball ended up posting all everything for day two, but nobody really knew what had happened. It was kind of sort of odd. Uh, yeah, the, the community manager, there the content manager car from uh, face-to-face games stepped up and delivered some content. Uh, through their various channels, but I don't know how many people were tuned in. Yeah, it was kind of awkward. So hopefully that, you know, that'll change, but uh, I don't know. It's weird. Like I can understand video coverage being very expensive to produce. Um, It's no small feat to make that all come together, Um, but not having at least basic text coverage like we did in the 90s. That's a that's a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah, like just, to not have Corbin just Corbin Hostler on the floor gathering deck lists and and writing official articles about it seems crazy. Yeah, hopefully we'll get something a little better, but until you know, who knows, right? Like if they're going to give it to us or not. Um, All right, so what's on the agenda this week? Uh, this week we have a show in four parts, including my the uh, intro segment of our show. My printer going off over my left shoulder. Um. Then segment one are, will be our top movers, uh, our cards that have moved the most in price this week. Segment two, our cards to watch, the cards that hit, James and I think may have a positive outlook. Segment three, our metagame week in review. Uh, we'll talk about uh, GP Toronto and the modern event that was there. Uh, and segment four, our topic of the week, we have what's going on in with Grand Prix London and the pre-release, which is sort of odd. Uh, and TCG players got some changes for small or sub $2 cards. So let's hop right in. Uh, segment one, our top movers. First card of the week is Beast Whisper. Foils out of Guilds of Ravnica, five to ten. Uh, 
I wrote about this or talked about yep. it. Talked about it on cast last week. It was on cast last week. I said five to 15. It is now five to 10. So pretty nice little turnaround there. Uh, yeah, I, and I definitely bought some of those on the floor at Toronto. Did you? I think, I don't remember if I bought any or not. I might've picked up a couple in Europe, but I don't remember if I grabbed any in the States. I will have to wait for the mail this week and find out. Yeah. All right. So next on the list, we've got Tesa uh, Orzov Scion from Guild Pack, the original Tesa. Uh, $6 to $12. That's on the back of new Tesa for EDH, um, driving a whole bunch of cards up last week and the week before and this week again. Um, next on the list, we have Tolaria West from Future Sight. These are the non-foils going from 10 to 20. That's an uncommon, but it's been quite some time since it's seen a reprint and it's being used in uh, various decks in modern that can transmute the card to go get a free spell that they want to cast. So um, living in blue-red, as foretold type decks, I would imagine. Yeah, this has been in modern for a long time. Anyone who's played weird combo decks in the format has played Tolaria West before. Um, the uh, old, oh god, that red enchantment probability storm used to use it because you could transmute for Memnites and then you'd cast m- you transmute for your one Memnite and then cast your one Memnite, which would then cast Emrakul. Then um, it's got a million other uses too, so definitely a strong part of the format. Uh, Non-foils, 10 to now 20 that- is pretty hefty. I mean, that's 20 bucks for a uh, uncommon, I believe. A definitely uncommon, possibly common someplace land is, uh, is a hike. If, if this set that's getting announced at the end of the month is what we think it is, and it's a mix of reprints for modern and new cards for modern, then Teleria West is in that mix, I think, for sure. Um, it gets played in a bunch of different decks. It also gets played, in, now that KCI is gone, The we're back to uh, ensnaring bridge decks being uh, the artifact, were of invention, uh, ancient stirrings, uh, you know, brokenness du jour, um, and there's also uh, lands-based decks that want it because it can tutor for other lands. So like Primeval Titan decks, uh, Amulet Titan, now looking Ascendant, um, makes use of it. And then uh, Electro-Dominance decks, as I said. Um, and sometimes Tron decks as well um, will make use of the card. So needs a reprint or it's probably going to hold that price. Yeah. Yep. It's doing doing stuff. Um. Finally, our next up is Edgewalker. Foils out of Scourge, 7 and change up towards 15. I mean, this would have been something that our good buddy Jason Alt picked uh, as a cleric pickup when Eilie was announced in Oath of the Gatewatch uh, for like Cleric Tribal. Because he's actually a really good card in Cleric Tribal, but he's only in 1,000 DDH stocks. I don't think anyone plays Cleric Tribal, so I'm not sure why we're seeing this all of a sudden other than that it's a scourge foil so there would have been very few copies anyways i was just checking whether any of the tesas are clerics well they're all human advisors um but there might be a bunch of clerics in the deck depending on how you build it hmm yeah maybe i think that's it um so next on the list, we've got Jun Panorama. This is just the latest of the foil panoramas from Shards of Alara that have been uh, reinforced by YouTube channels that focus on budget EDH, talking about using the panoramas as alternatives to Misty Rainforest and the rest of the Feshland series. So no huge surprise to see yet another one of those dominoes fall. We've also got Timberwatch Elf from Legions. The foil is going from four to nine. Um, that's a popper card. Popper Elves makes... Uh, really good use of Timberwatch Elf. And if you've ever played against a Timberwatch Elf in Limited, you would understand why that thing is a beating. Ugh. It's such an awful onboard trick, too. Like, it's just, it's bad. Because you just attack with that up and your opponent has no good choices because whatever they do, you just Timberwatch something. Yeah, there's no good blocks. Uh, Gate Colossus out of uh, the League promo here, um, which was have been part of, what, like Magic F&M League or something? I don't even know what this printing is. But it's foil and it's a dollar seventy-five up to three eighty-four dollars. So small jump. Part of the standard gate stock that's been kind of popular. Uh, not a lot to do with this type of price movement unless you're buy listing a giant pile of them. Uh, your best bets otherwise just trade it out at uh, your local store. Yeah, and certainly everything associated with this gate stack and standard is not something you would want to get caught holding because I don't believe that mazes and 
base decks in EDH are going to take off like wildfire. That's very much a niche uh, kind of experience. So if you're holding, if you got a bunch of like the relevant cards that are going to come up in the list this week that happen to be sitting around in your binder, just collecting dust, get rid of those. Even if you're only getting like six, eight, ten dollars for whatever you're trading in, because it's a bunch of uncommons and randomness that has no other further purpose. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after that, Reese redeemed Foil Shadowmoor, uh, fifty to a hundred and ten, supposedly. Uh, Reese redeemed uh, only the one printing in Shadowmoor. He's he's a EDH foil. Shows up as a commander. Pops in a couple other places. Supply is ultra low, and he's been popular for a while. This is probably just somebody buying one copy at fifty bucks, and then it jumped up to the next highest. Apparently, I bought one of these for something like eighteen eighty eight or somewhere thereabouts in Europe in the spring of 2017 and sold one in August of 2017 for like $60. Um, so this is a little bit more of a ratchet up from the last time we saw a spike. Yeah, sounds about right to me. Um, I know I had a couple at some point, but I'm pretty sure I got rid of them long ago. Rage Forger Foils from Morning Tide. That's the tribal... Uh, uh, lord for shamans that Caleb Durward was making use of on stream and five owing leagues with uh, moving from apparently $2 to $5. That probably has some room to run if that deck gains any traction amongst the fringes of modern crowd. Um, really would probably take a few more streamers or heaven forbid a top eight performance <laughs> for that to really get anywhere serious. But And I doubt any of you have a stack of these sitting around. Uh, yeah, not unless you bought them when you saw Caleb Durward playing it, but it, it is definitely, I mean, for, I mean, we were just talking about Rissa redeemed, uh, from Shadowmoor foils going from 50 to 110. So Rage Forger foils at five from Morning Tide, which is virtually the same set. Doesn't seem that far off and it's a cool looking card too, to be fair. So I don't think it's going to be a $50 foil, but you know, if this shows up anywhere, I definitely think there's room for this to grow. I, I'm almost inclined to... Also- Oh man, I'm almost inclined not to sell this. Like, you could there's, sell them at there's only- five. You could sell them at five, right, and make a couple bucks. But like holding and trying to get to twenty or twenty five is greedy. But you might get away with it. There's like six or seven copies under ten dollars. Here's the other thing: uh, in support of your consideration of holding, um, the rumor is that the fall set this year is Lorwyn Block, like Return to Lorwyn. Um, which would make sense because after the Nicol Bolas thing resolves in War of the Spark, they're going to take a break off of that whole, you know, uh, Gatewatch plot arc. Um, make sense to retreat to something completely different um, and introduce a bunch of new characters. Uh, similar to what we saw with Kaladesh after they left uh, Zendikar, um, where we had a couple of characters show up, but most of them were out of the mix. Um so if we're going back to Lorwyn, then anything from the first set of Lorwyn cards, if it, did, if it doesn't see a reprint, could be the kind of thing that suddenly um, has a whole bunch of reinforcement on in various tribal decks. If we're getting a whole bunch of shamans, for instance, then and they don't print Rage Forger, then shaman decks might be a there might be a new shaman general in EDH, and then Rage Forger is that much more useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so I, I so are you are you on a on a hold plan then? Are you with me? I mean, I do, again, I don't think anybody's holding piles of this, but like, say you saw the stream and you bought four, eight, 12 copies or something, and you're hoping to sell play sets, you probably test the waters now and see if you can get rid of them at the, at $20 a set if you bought in at like 6 to $8 a set. And if it sells, then you, you, there's some implied demand. And then maybe, you know, move your price up five bucks or 10 bucks and see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's the, when, when I'm not, not feeling confident that I'm going to have a long window to, uh, of opportunity to sell. I usually slowly work my way up the ramp. Mm-hmm. Which is fair. Which is fair. Um, Nostalgic Dreams foils out of Torment. Four bucks to 12 bucks. Uh, I was looking at this. Uh, I couldn't find anything in particular. You've got it just marked as an old foil, which I'm mostly inclined to agree with. It's double green, but as an additional cost to discard X cards. And then you return that many cards to your hand. So it loops sort of like seasons past used to it's a cool card but doesn't seem to have a home anywhere partially because it's not legal in modern which might uh, i'm sure it would be playable in modern but uh it's not there so i don't know who else would play it yeah 
Wailuli Wolf version 2 from Arabian Nights in theory went from $3 to $10. This is just the continued old set pressure. There's also a lot of people like trying to track down if, if there's near mint copies, buying them up, hoping that they're going to be gradable, um, looking to really ramp up their value. So just a, we saw a lot more of that about a year ago, but still seeing, you know, little bits and pieces pop mm-hmm. off here and there. Um, Gatebreaker Ram uh, from Ravnica Allegiance is another card from the guilds deck. Foils going from $2 to $7.50. Um, another card you don't want to be caught holding. And likewise, Gates Ablaze, also from Ravnica Allegiance, or not also, but from Ravnica Allegiance. Those foils going from 2 to 10, also standard Gates. Um, and Guild Summit from Guilds of Ravnica, foils going from $1 to $6, again, standard Gates. Um, the, the Gates deck was interesting because the whole thing in non-foil was extremely cheap. So you could actually build the foil deck relatively cheaply as well, um, at least up until right hmm. about now. Nifty, nifty. Are you uh, are you playing that at all? Are you in standard uh, playing gates? I'm playing no standard. no standard. Although standard, I have to admit, standard looks very solid. Hmm. If I had time to play standard, I would play standard. Okay, okay. But I'd be I'd be looking to play like Grixis Control or maybe the the teamer decks I saw popping around. I would be playing something stupid. <laughs> Uh, Elvish Champion, 7th edition foils, in theory going from 26 to 100. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to get 100 for those, but it is a card that, that shows up in Modern and 7th edition. Uh, foils are always hard to come by, always under pressure, and it also gets played in EDH and casual elf decks. Also collectors of 7th edition foils, naturally. Um, so, um, unlikely to reverse course much. Uh, I don't think you're going to see it in the 20 to $30 range again, but I can see these landing 40 to 60 as opposed to 100 plus. Okay, I can buy that. That doesn't seem unreasonable. Um, Ogre Slumlord from Gate Crash. Uh, when creatures die, you get Death Touch Rats. Uh, pretty sure that's a Tesa card too. Foils going from $2 to $10. Seems like people overextending into that hype train. Um, what usually happens with this stuff is people get 15, 20 cards deep on these commanders and accumulate a stack that becomes hard to unload because not all of the cards that they reach out to touch and acquire um, end up being the kinds of things that all of the players playing the deck want to run or are even aware of. So generally speaking, I would temper your expectations for these kinds of cards, but you can get $10 for one of these power to you. Sure. I also can't imagine ever getting anyone to pay you $10 in foils for this card, but my sentiment is the same. Good job if you do. Um, Bump in the night uh, foils out of Innistrad, a dollar and change up towards 10. This is on the back of Black Red Burn doing pretty well in modern. A lot of flavors of Burn have been doing pretty well, uh, especially those that integrate Arclight Phoenix, but not necessarily all those. Um, but Bump in the night in general has been around in Burn and in modern for since it came out, basically. It's been a different flavor. It looks like someone uh, finally decided to clean out what foils are left. Uh, finally, Morsel Hoarder uh, to Shadowmoor. Foils a dollar and change up to eight. Uh, you and I were talking before the cast that it could be on the expectation that Lorwyn will be after Ravnica and then these counters will matter again, which seems like there's a lot there's like two or three layers of speculation here like you're speculating that it will be Lorwyn and you're speculating that the counters will matter and you're speculating that Morsel Hoarder will matter because of that so that's a lot of speculating yeah um as is pretty typical at the top of this list sometimes the things that seem to move the most are not the most sensible yeah. um Likewise, in our cards to watch this week, my first pick is um, you're going to have to move fast because they're already draining pretty hard. Some of the usual uh, platforms where you would be purchasing it have already almost sold out. Um, a couple weeks ago, you could have got this in the 6 to $7 range. Um, when I originally targeted these and picked up a bunch of English and Japanese foils, and we called it for the first time on cast, I think it was about $4. I think you wrote about it later, and this might be the third time we're mentioning it between the two of us. Uh, word of invention foils are looking pretty hot even if you could get them at ten dollars i think you're probably in pretty good shape for it to hit 20 this uh card is from either revolt it tutors up artifacts um now that kci is gone as we said earlier uh lantern 
lantern lists ensnaring bridge decks that are not running the uh, Lantern of Insight, um, but are running for Teleria West, for Ancient Stirrings, for Word of Invention, a Bottled Cloister, for Chalice of the Void, Crucible of Worlds, Damping Sphere, Ensnaring Bridges, Mishra's Bobbles, Mox Opals, etc., etc. Um, that deck finished second uh, at Grand Prix Toronto this weekend, and we were picking up Word of Invention foils on the floor for about five to six. Um, most of the places online, like as, as, as I said, stock's getting scarce, but maybe check your local stores, trade binders of friends and associates, um, or if there's a event coming up this weekend, you may not be too late. Um, especially if you're willing to pay a couple extra bucks more, I would even like, I think this is pretty solidly going to 20 long before it sees a reprint. So, um, 11 to $12 would still not yeah, be Yeah. And uh, let me check, uh, channel fireball here because this channel fireball was the barrier here. Wow, somebody bought all 50 of those foils. The, the 50. But honestly, in our Discord alone, I think accounted for Did a they? large chunk of those. Um, and so one of the things I pointed out uh, in reflecting on that, as I think is important, is that anytime you have a group of people, like prior to us having a Discord, our forums were relatively scarce uh, or had relatively scant activity. And... Now that there's a very bustling Discord for the pro traders, there's a lot of groupthink going on. Um, a lot of people checking in several times a day, people saying, hey, here's a spec, check out the ladder, thumbs ups are given, people go out and buy remaining copies, etc. And this goes on in lots of different groups on Facebook and Twitter and Discord and all over the world. Keep in mind, the more people that have gone in on your spec as a spec, the the less confident you can feel that natural demand is going to give you the out you need in the time frame you desire. If 90% of the copies are being held by speculators and they get nervous and dump them back into the market via buy list, then retraces are entirely possible. Now, on the other hand, what tends to happen when there's a failed spec is they end up sitting in people's boxes and binders of shame and people neglect to go back and, and dump them at all, which does in fact lead to the attrition principle that we've discussed many times. But um, I think it's important that there is solid underlying demand when you're going after these things that are talked about in various quarters. This card in particular, I think is a safe bet despite all the speculation because it is open-ended synergy as a artifact tutor in a format that has shown uh, healthy appreciation for artifact-based decks of variety in a variety of shapes and sizes over the years, and it's a very strong EDH card. So you've got a you've got the double format well, I mean, that you want. I feel like I don't need to spend that much time selling people on War of Invention simply because I already did last week, and apparently I sold eighty copies. So I'm going to email Channel Fireball and tell them they owe me. Uh, I, I actually don't know if I picked any of these up. I was staring at Channel Fireball's inventory because I have a ton of store credit there. And I'm like, hmm, I should probably grab some of these. I'm like, but I was like at work and I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'll come back to it. And now I'm coming back to it and they're gone. So God damn it. I, I might have bought like a place at, uh, in Europe or something, but that's like it. So good job, you guys. You beat me to my own spec on this one. <laughs> I, I messed up like that with Divine Visitation. I thought I had a whole bunch yeah. of them already sitting in a oh, pile yeah. and I didn't at all. <laughs> it's happening fairly regularly now that like I talk um, about a card and I haven't bought it before I write about it. And then by the time I do go to get it, it's already gone. Yeah. Yeah. And yet we're still accused of, of try, attempting to manipulate the market when we're not even profiting from our own specs. I have to imagine at this point in time that the money you and I pocket for doing this cast is well short of how much I would make if I kept my mouth shut and just did all the specs on my own. Um, I also looked at the amount of like traffic translated into revenue that we drive to TCG Player um, over the weekend because we have access to that as one of their affiliates. And it is a big, big number. Really? <laughs> yeah. Hamdichi Price is a, a site with a lot of traffic and a user base that extends back quite a ways. And when we fix some of the tools that are currently broken, I would imagine we will be able to generate even more traffic. Um, so, I mean, if that's how, having seen that, I can only imagine what sites like, um, like the YouTube sites and uh, sites like Goldfish push to the various uh, sales platforms. Uh, a lot of cardboard gets moved 
And uh, maybe we'll reflect on that a little bit more when we get to segment four here. We have to, uh, we got to call these people up, make a profit sharing part of the <laughs> contracts that we oh, have in place. Oh, it is. Like that's what I'm talking about. They There's an official affiliate program. Anybody that pu- pushes traffic towards TCG player makes money. Um, as as is standard with most affiliate deals. Um, but anyway, they, it's, it's, it's not TCG player so much as the vendors that we are pushing the traffic to that are benefiting. Like content sites do a lot of work. That's, like, I guess, the point I'm making. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me in the least because, you know, most of the people are getting their cards because of that, right? Yeah. All right. So what is your first pick this week? Uh, I am going to start this week with uh, Eerie Interlude uh, out of Shadows Over Innistrad. This is the card that blinks your team for three mana. Foils are about $2 right now. Uh, It is in about 7,000 EDA track decks. Uh, I noticed this when I was scrolling through the arcades deck. And I remember looking for, oh, Ghostway back when I was building a Brago deck and the foils were really annoyingly expensive. Um, Eerie Interlude is another really good tool. Uh, so again, about, in about 7,000 decks, supply is on the touch of a high side. There's only about, there's under 30 vendors on TCG player, which is, which is low, but a couple of the guys have uh, some quantity. There's no 50 copy war of inventions, but there are, I think there's one or two people with like 15 or 20 copies, but this is exactly the type of foil that you can pick up in bulk at you know $1.75, $2 a piece and kind of stash them for a little while and in a year come back to you and they're 7 8 10 bucks because they're relatively popular. There's a, They fit in a lot of types of decks that make use of it. Um, and without a reprint, it's just going to drain, drain, drain. Yeah. It surprises me that it's already in that many decks. But when I reflect upon... It's this card's open-ended synergy. How many decks want creatures have come as in play abilities that are also white? Several. Um, you know, there's a bunch of different generals that can make use of it. You, you mentioned uh, Brago, King Eternal, Rune of the Hidden Realm, General Tazri, Alicia Who Smiles at Death, Reaper King, Arcades, uh, Afara, God of the Polis, Amanatu, the Fate Shifter, and so on and so forth. So, um, and they don't they they print this effect every so often. Um, but again, the decks that want to run it typically want to run two, three, four, five copies of this kind of card because it does so much work in those decks. It's been a while now. I mean, like, so they printed Ghostway and Kamigawa and your Interlude and Shadows over Innistrad, and those are basically well, this, it. In terms of mass blinking, yeah, but we have, like, momentary blink and a whole bunch of white and blue stuff that's been printed over the years. Oh, yeah, 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 but those are very different than the blink everything yeah because like the ability yeah. like a momentary blink is like is fine but the difference between that and like uh your interlude uh, when you're talking about your entire board state with brago is is huge gotcha all right so my next pick this week is another card um that a listener pointed out i probably should have um had top of mind if i think that war of the spark is going to be a planeswalkers matters set um if you Almost no matter what Planeswalkers we get, there are going to be a bunch of new tools for Attracts of Planeswalkers, one of the most popular EDH decks of all time. And one of the most key cards in that deck is Doubling Season because all of your Planeswalkers come into play with double the loyalty. Mm-hmm. Um, so Doubling Season we've seen as recently as Battle Bond, but the Judge Promo Foil is probably the consensus best uh, version of the card other than the original Pack Foil. Um, I think it has the best art anyway. And the Judge Foil ramp is very steep and the inventory is relatively low. And I could see if Planeswalkers is the theme of War of the Spark or um, we get a bunch of Planeswalker-related tools, then Atraxa will be reinvigorated and there might be new uh, Planeswalker-specific generals that we know nothing about so far. Um, So I think I like the Judge Foils at 55 to go to, say, 80 on a 6-12 to month hold. If I'm right about war, and if I'm wrong, the hold might get a little longer, but you're probably still in safe territory. Uh, doubling Season is a very powerful card. It has been down this price road before. Uh, there's more and more copies every time it does, but people still really like this card. Uh, it's still useful in a ton of strategies, and if you see a, a Counters Matter set come forward, it will certainly push 
demand for this, both, you know, in, in War of the Spark, obviously with additional planeswalkers and combos that can open up and also the set following that. So if you believe, and we're just guessing here, that, you know, Lorwyn Encounters Matters is after Ravnica, that means you get two blocks in a row that are paying you off for playing doubling season. That's a lot of rewards. And here's the thing. There's only three foil versions of the card. The original printing in uh, Ravnica City of Guilds, the printing in Battle Bond, and the printing, the Judge Foil printing. And if you think that people might go to the Battle Bond foils first, guess again, because the lowest price on one of those on TCG Player is currently $54. <laughs> so you can have the Judge promo or the Battle Bond foil. I think the Battle Bond art is nice, but doesn't really speak to doubling anything. Um, whereas the the Judge promo foil very much does um, carry that symbology. So I think that. You know, go one route or the other, but you can't go wrong with these foils because you're not going to see them reprinted again for a couple of years. They're just, they've gotten a judge foil, they've gotten a battle bond printing. They're going to leave that alone for two to three years now, I think. So easily these foils get top 80 before they ever see a reprint. Sure. Uh, it makes sense to me. I'm with you. I'm there with you. All right. What's your next pick? Uh, following on that similar space, I'm looking at Command Tower. Um, also the judge promo you can grab these for about 80 bucks right now there are i think four of them under 90 dollars on tcg player right now i think three at 80 and one at like 85 or something uh and then it's like 110 one at 110 and one at 130 or something um there are zero commander's arsenal foils period uh if we're at least zero near mint commander's arsenal foils so those are gone which are the only two foils of the card um there's one judge copy on star city for i think 80 or 90 or something like that it's it's more than the 80 i believe uh and it is if memory serves me the most popular land in the format uh wait wait i can look this up bear with me two seconds uh it is the most popular non-basic land it is in 63 percent of all edh decks so you have a foil that essentially the most popular foil that exists or close to it. Um, one version is completely sold out. The other one's 80 bucks with no supply left. Uh, I think, you know, $80 to 110, 120, 130, real easy, real easy. Yep. I think that all makes perfect sense. And I'm pretty sure I'm holding these already. I, I'm sure I had some at some point, but I probably sold them. And now I need to go back and find them. So you had Eerie Interlude was your Shadows Over Innistrad pick. I've got one to match. Okay. Um, this one is a Tesa card. Um, Westville Abbey was a card you saw me picking up on the floor at Toronto. Um, people had been talking about it in the Pro Trader Discord. Um, and it seemed like a smart pick given what the ramp's looking like. You can still get copies out there from various vendors in dwindling supply in the 10 to $12 range. So definitely the kind of thing to scrounge around for a very short term here. Because it's going, it could easily turn the corner. Um, Tesa has double um, death triggers and has a bunch of creatures in play so that she can get lots of creatures in the graveyard and get double triggers. And so this slots in the deck pretty neatly in the sense that it creates creatures that can be sacked to other creatures um, and, and get the double death triggers. And uh, if you get enough creatures on the board, you can switch it over and get the Profane Prince and start attacking people with your 9-7 indestructible flying, flying dude. What is he? Scary. He is flying lifelink indestructible haste. <laughs> Ormondal the Profane Prince, 9-7. Um, very unlikely as a flip card that's less than five years old to see a reprinting anytime soon, given that we've already seen FDV flip. So uh, I have every reason to believe that you get a couple of years for this to mature if Tesa doesn't pay off. Um, but I like this to hit over 20 and be close to a double up for most people. Sure. I mean, it's a really cool utility land that does something big and powerful. It's playable in EDH and even has shots at becoming relevant in modern, depending on what shows up there. Nothing today, but certainly viable. So, uh, yeah. I mean, for the price, I mean, 10 bucks for foil lands to do something cool. It's hard to go wrong with that. So the other pick I have um, that is related to uh, speculation that it's a Planeswalkers Matters set is Oath of Nisa foils from Oath of the Gatewatch. These are available as low as 4 or $5, and I think it's an easy $10 to $15 foil if it turns out that we are correct about that set. 
Um, this is the legendary enchantment from Oath of the Gatewatch, which enters the battlefield. Look at the top three cards of your library. You may reveal a creature, land, or planeswalker card from among them and put it into your hand. So it slots into attracts of planeswalkers, like dead simply perfect. Um, but more importantly, you can spend mana on a, as though it were mana of any color to cast your planeswalker spell. So it completely smooths out your mana in attracts of planeswalkers and other related uh, planeswalker style builds. And forget a whole pile of planeswalkers matters cards. This has to be the kind of thing that A is not going to get reprinted this soon. Um, and B will be very useful in casual and EDH circles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I really like Oath of Nyssa. I've liked this since it was printed, realistically. Um, it's a very cool card. Definitely going to get better if we see more Planeswalkers. The ability to pay whatever you want for them is helpful. I mean, if supply is low uh, or even looking low, then I- I'm all for it because it's going to keep being popular in Commander where it is essentially a, a chromatic lantern for your Planeswalkers. This is this is a card that because no one else is really going after it right now is not particularly close to a tipping tipping point at all. So it's much more speculative than my average pick. Um, the mm-hmm. curve here is very flat because everybody is kind of within a few cents of each other around five dollars. Um, and you know if planeswalker if I'm wrong about War of this bargain, it's not a planeswalker's matter set. Then this probably languishes in your binder for quite some time. So. Take that for what you will and go as deep as your uh, risk tolerance will allow. <laughs> how, uh, how, how, uh, how far are you willing to go? I have Russian foils that I picked up back when they first came out because they seemed like they'd be good long-term things. Oh, that, that doesn't seem too shabby. Yeah, I, I think we've talked about this card like like 12 to 18 months ago or something. And it was probably, I think it's the same price now that it was then. <laughs> so mm. that pick was clearly early. Well, even still, even still. All right, so let's talk about what happened at GP Toronto, since many of you, given the lack of coverage, may not know. <laughs> uh, GP Toronto was, by all accounts, a pretty successful tournament. Uh, lots of action going on there. Um, I got to say, though, that having seen my first Magic Fest in person, pretty much looked like a GP. <laughs> Just going to be a smart ass about it. Well, no, but like, I really thought that's what they were going for. Like, I thought the whole thing was they were coordinating with Channel Fireball to expand on the various angles um, of entertainment to lessen the focus on competitive play and greatly increase the focus on the other aspects of magic culture. So maybe significantly more vendors or significantly more uh, artists signing things or significantly more accessories um, vendors or a lot more cosplay or a cosplay contest um, or a cosplay booth where you can take pictures or some kind of big marketing thing where you can take pictures um, alongside the characters from the latest set. Or, you know, when they did, I think when they did Innistrad reveal, they had uh, Christine Sprinkle dressed up as Archangel Avison, and she came out of some big chapel or something. Yeah, and so, and some other time, right. some other some other time, they put tentacles on the street in Seattle for one of the big cons. And I thought that you know it's not going to happen overnight, but I still thought that Magic Fest were going to be something that you would be you would walk in and go, huh? There's way more marketing swag hanging around. There's like noticeably more things to do than I have come to expect from a competitive magic tournament. And sadly it looked like every single other event that's ever been held in that building. Um, I mean, I will go ahead and say, I didn't expect it to be any different whatsoever. Uh, at least not right away. I get where they're going with it. I just didn't expect to see it in February. I guess I was anticipating. First of all, I guess I hadn't even thought that they were going to look any different at all. I figured the name change was mostly branding and that you might see them slowly shift towards more like art shows and, you know, marketing type gimmicks, but that it wouldn't happen overnight. So I guess my my expectations, it met my expectations, which were essentially zero. Um, (laughs) See, the thing is, I, I thought the branding for Magic Fest was so bad that it was just the, the react, like the end result of them making these other changes. If it's purely that they thought that name was better, I'm sorry, but the community does not agree. No, no, the name is bad. The name is definitely bad. And and I and the thing is, like, the whole idea, if you're changing from Grand Prix, which very sounds very competitive, 
to Magic Fest, which sounds very community oriented and welcoming, you would expect that you're going to back that up with something. If you were somebody who just like casually played magic here and there and you're like, oh, they've got this thing called Magic Fest. It's probably some super fun like magic like festival. Let's go check it out. And they went down there and walked in. And they were like, well, do you want to play in the in the GP? No. Do you want to play these other kinds of magic? Well, we were hoping to like buy some cool t-shirts. Where do we do that? Can we take some selfies like for our Instagram somewhere? Like, no, none of none yeah. of that is present. <laughs> so so don't hold your breath. Um, so now I'm curious because I'm going to, to GP Cleveland, Magic Fest Cleveland, Pro Tour Cleveland uh, in a couple of weeks. Now I'm curious to see what that's going to look like. Like how different is it from your average GP? <laughs> I'm going to go with exactly the same. But they got to at least have a stage set up and stuff, right? Because this is like their first time showing off the new newly minted $75,000 a year pros. Is it? Is there something different there? Like what? What's it? What's it? I'm sorry. What's it? Cleveland? That's not at any of the other ones. Well, I thought this was like where the 32 people that are getting paid are playing. Is it? I mean, is you this, could be right. Is, is I, the, I don't know. Oh, you know what? I might be wrong. This might actually be the last hurrah for the old pro tour, where like people that qual because they didn't shut down qualifications from six months ago. So I think I think you're right. I think this is people qualified under the old system are still getting to go to a couple more. And then starting maybe with the Invitational in March or April or whatever it is, where they're having all the streamers come play against the 32 pros, that might be the, the like starting point for the new system. Okay. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, I, the, whole thing's been, the whole thing's been so confusing, you can hardly blame us for not really having that nailed down. Yeah, I seriously don't know at all <laughs> what what's going on realistically like i i've i've lost the ability to keep track of all of this completely uh, all right so we'll, we'll we'll check we'll do our research and check back in on this shortly but circling back we, on the top eight deck list from gp toronto we absolutely we will not do our research do not tell people we're doing that <laughs> i am not doing research <laughs> I, I need to understand how that whole system works, so I'll do some research. I am going to show up, record a podcast that 5,000 people a week listen to, and I'm going to have no goddamn idea what I'm talking about, and that is my God-given right. <laughs> As an American. <laughs> All right. There was 1,317 people at the GP in Toronto. Death Shadow took it down. This was a Grixis build. Um, nothing particularly innovative here this jump this looks like a list from two years ago that everybody thought we were done with um but uh good good decks that are powerful in the hands of the right people um look like they can do a lot of work actually liz who just took uh otherwise known as nerdwalla who just turned down took down an sgg event recently posted a list last night uh for legacy where she was showing off death shadow arclight phoenix um i'm trying to remember what her special little thing was for losing life in a hurry. I do remember. Oh, that's okay. That's a different list than what I'm thinking of. Let me just see if I can track it down. Was it Street Wraith? Street Wraith and Gitaxian Probe? No, they banned Gitaxian Probe. No, Probe's not. Is Probe banned at Legacy? No. Is it? Oh, wait. What for? Wait, 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 wait. What format are we talking about? Legacy or modern? Legacy, Legacy, right? Legacy. Legacy. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so here's what was in the deck. Four Cabal Therapy, four Dark Ritual, four Thought Seize, four Days, four Preordain, four Ponder, four Brainstorm, four Street Wraith, four Buried Alive, okay. four Arclight Phoenix, Jace Friends Prodigy, and four Death Shadow. It is the list I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and then the sideboard, you have Bitter Blossoms and Surgical Extractions to further bleed your life with, uh, well, doing interesting things to interact with your opponent. Um, the whole idea here is that people have been have been bringing these buried alive Arclight Phoenix decks to the table with I think Delver was the last version I saw. So this is like instead of running Delvers, running Death Shadows alongside the Phoenix. Yeah, yeah, that was a curious list. The I I don't know, it was odd, right? Like you what Swamp Dark Ritual buried alive three Arclight Phoenixes yeah. and then like Probe, which would trigger it actually. The hell does Arclight Phoenix say? Going back to my eye, damn well not doing any homework. Uh, okay, yeah. So, you, so yeah, it would just trigger pretty much right away, and then you can get what three? Because Braid Alive is three guys, right? Oh, uh, I, three I know cards. the other little. Yeah, the other little trick in here is that Cabal Therapy. You can name Arc, Arclight Phoenix and knock it out of your own hand. <laughs> that, <laughs> I mean, how many do you have to have in your hand before that's worth it? 
two, one. I don't know. It's it <laughs> starts doing work right away. I mean, I guess I guess there is a universe. I mean, I guess if you have buried alive, you can actually hit three pretty easily, right? Like you can dark ritual buried alive, dumping three of them. Uh, cast any other spell, move to combat, and get three arc light phoenixes, swing for nine damage on turn one. Eh. Eh. It really looks like I'm surprised the deck's not running gut shot because a lot of these spells cost one instead of zero. Yeah, I don't know. Ask her. I, I'll i say this much. I, I'm not going to question my betters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I don't play enough legacy to be claiming that this deck is incorrectly built. I think it was more suggested than something that she had recently won with. But anyway, um, curious. Shadow took down GP Toronto, um, still a very powerful card. And that those foils, which we called a while back um, last few months uh, are at a tipping point, definitely draining. Um, I had a big stack of them acquired in the 12 to $14 range when MM 17 came out last year that have been waiting for their moment. And the moment is nigh. I would say within the month, I'll be selling them in the $25 range. Probably. Wait, I'm like, sorry. $95 a play set or something. I looked down at my phone. What card was that? Was that Arclight? Death Shadow. Oh, the Death Shadow. You're, oh, you still got a bunch of those, huh? Mm-hmm. I bought a bunch during MM17, and it hasn't gone anywhere. For a year, it just kind of sat. Um, yeah. But now that we've got it winning a GP, foils have drained. Well, um, that's nice. So then the uh, Whir of Invention deck was second. Um, this was the, the deck that is uh, without the... Uh, top of uh, deck control uh, elements that we saw Sam Black popularize, popular li- popular eyes. Wow. Popular eyes. Uh, it's now I'm never going to be able to say it right again. Um, <laughs> last couple of years ago. And um, yeah, so that explains where I mentioned and Tolaria West, which it runs four of. Is it Phoenix was in third, Valakut in fourth, Dredge in fifth, is it Phoenix again in sixth, and then two rock decks. Um, did you uh, John minus the red in uh, did, in seventh and eighth? Yeah, the green black. Did you catch how expensive the lantern deck is or lanternless is? Like, aside set aside the War of Invention, the Tolaria West, you've got four chalices main deck. Three explosives, four ensnaring bridge, four mox opal. That's a chunk of change right there. That is a pricey standard, uh, pricey modern deck. Yeah. Uh, the other thing, the other thing that was interesting. The other thing that was interesting here was in the top sixteen, there yeah. was two taking turns decks that Corbin yeah. pointed out, and this is why coverage is important, so that people notice these cool things developing. Um, two, you know, you see one weird deck in the top 16, you go, oh, that's that guy's pet deck. He's been playing it for years. He knows it inside and out and he knows the format well. And if he, if he gets the right matchups, he's in good shape. But when two of them do it, you gotta, your eyebrows go up a little higher. Four Snapcaster Mage, two Cryptic Command, three Exhaustion, three Giga Drows, four Lightning Bolt, two Part the Water Veil, four Serum Visions, three Temporal Mastery, four Time Warp, four Dictative Crufix, one Engineered Explosives, one Howling Mine, and two Jace the Mind Sculptor spicy yeah i turned this upside down trying to find a card that i could talk about as a as a good pick and there's nothing here that really i can work with exhaustion foils are non-existent already they're like 30 or 40 dollars uh giga draws I, I don't know i don't i don't love any of the cards in this at the moment you might have a different opinion but nothing Nothing really spoke to me. The Dictator Crawfix promos were cool, but there's still a lot of them out there. But it is reasonably popular in EDH. That one wasn't too bad. But uh, this is a real cure. I guess everything feels medium, but nothing feels excellent in terms of specking on this. But worth, worth, I did, worth I did notice it has no Nexus of Fates either. Yeah. Yeah, it's just going for the five mana sorceries because it doesn't have any way to loop the Nexus of Fates because it's not running to fairy. Um, the... There's three thing in the ice in the sideboard, so you're seeing that the card is not trapped in the in the one archetype. Um, the cryptic command foils are near a tipping point to ratchet up five or ten bucks, I think, because it's been a little while now since we've seen a reprint, and I don't think we're going to get another one this year. And if it dodges a reprint in the modern set, then the fact that the foils are currently about the same price as Bylas are offering um, is probably going to turn the corner, and we'll see them jump up another another level that's possible 
That's but that's not super specific to this deck so much as, as it is that Cryptic is good in most blue decks. Sure, sure. I'm still waiting on my Cryptic Magic Player rewards to pay off. <laughs> I bought those at like 50 uh, bucks, and there were like seven of them on the internet when I bought them. And here we are like four years later, and they're still 50 bucks. I I'm surprised don't. you can't get out of those right now, actually. If you'd asked me, I, I mean, would have said you easily could have. Like... Wait, what, in terms of they had there been a point in the past or today? Oh, I see. There's a little bit of a drag because we got it as a invocation. That's true. That, yeah, um, I came way later. But even still, yeah. they, I think they got to like 70, maybe even 80. But I was I like, why, right. why stop at 80? Like, it's the it's a super cool cryptic command that you're never going to see again. I'm holding out for like 110, 120, because why wouldn't I? And instead, they just kind of deflated. But I will... <laughs> be buried with those goddamn promos before I sell them for $50. Um, yeah. Modern's got some cool stuff going on. Our listeners may find it amusing that James uh, dragged me over to a table and made me sit down for 20 minutes so he could show me his modern wilderness reclamation deck. Uh, well, it's more that, more that I poured out about 90 different cards and then <laughs> swirled them around in little piles and ask you to tell me how to build the deck. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, here, here, you've got eight minutes. Build this extremely weird modern combo deck for me. I will tell you, here's here's what I think is the way you should go with that. Uh, and I'm going to tell our listeners, because this is this is very cool, is uh, I don't remember how, but somewhere in the same day, somebody mentioned Panopticon Mirror, which is Isochron Scepter for any instant or sorcery, essentially. So you put this artifact in the play, and then you can imprint a spell, any spell onto it. And then you cast that spell automatically on your upkeep for free. So if you untap with eight mana, you can cast savor the moment, which is the take an extra turn, but don't untap your lands for three with your other five. You cast panopticon mirror, you pass turn at the end of turn trigger. You use your reclamation to untap all eight lands. Then you immediately use five of those to activate the panopticon to put another saver the moment underneath it. Then you untap for your first extra turn for saver the moment. And then you trigger the saver the moment under your panopticon. And now you have infinite turns and where that would be a problem with saver the moment because you don't get any untap steps your wilderness reclamation solves that problem so it requires having wilderness reclamation in play before you start this loop but if you're really clever you giga draws or something similar than your opponent on the turn prior to this so that they have no mana to interact with when you start this and you can build a uh, hard turn lock so if you ever wanted to play panopticon in modern there you go yeah that Sounds very interesting. I think it's a little tricky because you can't put counter spells or reactive spells on Panopticon very easily yeah. in the same way you can with Isocon Scepter because you have to cast it on your upkeep. So it has to be stuff like you have to be casting things you want to be doing every turn. Um, but it certainly adds yet another piece uh, to a very complex uh, puzzle that I am trying to unravel. <laughs> you could you could probably play Panopticon as like a one of and then you play like mm -hmm. were. Or something like that, you know, that allows you to be like, okay, now that I've hit the mana that I need and I want to end the game, I'm going to go get the artifact that lets me do that. I don't know. It's probably terrible. And unfortunately, Panopticon does only have one printing, but it's from Mirrodin. So those foils basically, it's not that they don't exist. It's if it's in your hand, you don't know it's foil. So it's not even worth buying them because they're so bad, which is unfortunate. I mean, I don't play foils in modern anyway, so I'd be happy to have a non-foil and sell somebody else the foils. But yeah. I'll, I'll post more janky deck lists shortly, and maybe somebody else will figure it out for me. Sure. So to cap to cap the week, um, a couple of interesting things happened um, over the last seven days. Uh, first, we have the GP London announcement debacle, where apparently the pre-release for War of the Spark is going to be the. Uh, Take, is going to they're going to run a pre-release on pre-release weekend at the GP that's in the UK on the same weekend that all the LGSs in the country would normally want to get their piece of the pie. Mm -hmm. <gasps> Those pre-releases are a really big deal for local stores, right? Like I remember somebody telling me that the pre-release pay the pre-release alone pays their rent for like. God, what did he say? Was it a month or six months? He was like, the pre-release the pre was a humongous percentage of his profits per year. 
I mean, I don't think it can be six months. I, I, I think I can buy that it's worth a worth of several days worth of regular traffic in the store, depending on the store. Yeah, it probably um, depends heavily on the store. Like, and and like previous weekend at like face to face Toronto, they run back to back to back to back back tournaments like all day long, pretty much for the whole weekend. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lot of traffic and a lot of revenue, and then they, there's a bunch of signal single sales that go along with that as well, right? But, um. It's interesting. The trolls of the internet uh, are using this as further evidence that Wizards doesn't care about the Wizards Play Network and doesn't care to support retailers. Um, I read it as more of a, we are betting they will still be fine without it kind of thing. Like, it's not that Wizards is trying to submarine LGSs, because I don't think, the, I, I think that the LGS network makes up a, a, the, still makes up the bulk of the revenue for the brand. And I think that the idea that they're trying to give those people a reason to go out of business is definitely not what's going on here. What's going on here is the same thing that all major multinationals do, which is when they want to make up shortfalls in their revenues and profits. And we just heard that magic as a brand is doing very well for Hasbro, even though Hasbro had a pretty bad year because of the whole toys or toys or us debacle, uh, debacle, um, debacle. Um, Magic's doing very well. So Wizards could be getting the squeeze from Hasbro to keep doing even better, as almost all of the divisions probably are. And a lot of what we've seen with uh, them trying to advance the arena cause and get into esports and shift money around and disappoint people on other on other fronts um, is also kind of side by side, shoulder to shoulder with what we're seeing in launching Mythic Edition as something that is direct to market and, you know, planning a pre-release for Channel Fireball's benefit on the same weekend that LGSs would normally like to get their cut. These are things that they are doing because it benefits their major partner for their major tournaments at the same time that it benefits, um, you know, whatever their marketing objective, they seem to think their marketing objectives are. Um, I still am kind of confused. Like, I, I, I feel like they could have done it I don't know, the week before, the week after, figure something out. It, it I, I understand why it's interesting to try to run a pre-release at a GP as an alternative to running comp- a big competitive event at a GP that is meant to qualify you for things, but it, it's gonna there's going to be a lot of bad blood. And the thing is that even the stores that aren't affected will now start, you know, in the US, will start, and elsewhere, will start wondering what's coming next down the pipeline. Yeah, it does seem odd. I mean, not even release weekend. Like, let the, you know, pre-release is always more popular than release. Why not just let them have the pre-release? It is nifty. Yeah, do that, it release weekend. What'd you say? And do it release weekend. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is nifty, I guess, that you can go in and the very first time you get to touch the cards is at a grand prix. Like, I appreciate the novelty of that, but that, even that has lost some of its wait simply because of the online draft simulators and sealed pool um, generators that exist. So I know my local group, uh, as soon as the last card of a set is spoiled is on the various limited tools that exist online. And they're all drafting with bots and doing sealed pool generations and discussing them, especially if they know they're going to go to an event. Uh, So people who put in that work are not going into that pre-release blind. I mean, it's not even like we're talking about, they know what the cards are in the set. Everybody knows what the cards are. They like have already figured out like what's decent, what's useful. um, Like what seems like it's going to be really good, kind of get a feel for the monikers. Uh, And if you are so incentivized you are not that incentivized now to go further, but if you're going to have like essentially GPs run that weekend, people will just start proxying the entire damn set and then drafting and like building sealed pools and playing games with the entire card pool proxied prior to pre-release weekend, right? In that like four day span or five day span. So uh, I don't know, just seems on like you're not going to get the effect you're looking for because the pros are going to make a point of learning it the amateur players are just going to get crushed even harder because it's not even like they have time. They don't have time to practice and learn and and they don't have the foundational skills to lean on the way that really um, established players are. You're cannibalizing the profits out of stores who, you know, some of them who are probably running on a razor thin margin to begin with are now losing a huge chunk of revenue that matters every three months. It just, 
This is rough. This is rough. And if it's because Hasbro's putting a gun to Watsy's head, that's unfortunate too. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's what I don't think it's Hasbro putting a gun to Watsy's head on this particular issue, so much as it is interplay between Watsy and Channel Fireball about making sure that now that all the eggs are in one basket, CFB events, CFB events might be, you know, providing feedback saying we're not profitable enough. Like we need additional help. We want mythic editions. We want pre-releases. We want whatever it's going to take to make these events even more popular. Um, and and they may and there's people involved that I'm sure honestly believe this just improves Magic Fest. You know, I, I said earlier about how I was disappointed that they didn't look more that they weren't different enough from what we came to expect with GPs. And I'm sure there are people internal to those the teams that are actually planning these these events that feel that are in agreement that would like to make them even better and different. Um, so, you know, who knows from what angle this idea came from, but I, how many PR fiascos can you have in one like six month period? <laughs> it's a little staggering. They are working on it. They, uh, they thankfully have at least avoided any of the PR fiascos that the entire rest of the world seems to be having constantly. They haven't said anything or done anything horribly offensive on a social axes right they're True. not you know they haven't fired all of their women or anything like that um channel fireball <laughs> did make, amazing in 2019 yeah right channel fireball did make a a curious tweet earlier where jace was on a planeswalker hookup app, app called sparker and his tinder-esque profile mentioned fedoras and tipping his hat and milady and being smarter than women and it was uh I guess it was like tongue in cheek and making fun of Jace. I don't know if the messaging was quite what they were shooting for, but at least we know Wizards is in general has been uh, a diverse and welcoming, welcoming company. But that's about all they've got going for them in terms of PR these days. So the other thing that was going on this week was one of the thorns in the side of vendors on TCG Player for ages and ages has been um, the problem of selling really cheap cards. Um, because uh, it always ended being problematic, ended up being problematic if you were trying to sell like a 15 cent card um, because there was these minimum set up. And so what TCG player has announced uh, as of this morning, I believe, was that there is going to be a 78 cent handling charge applied to cards under $2, I think it is, um, which is meant to... Uh, allow sellers to more frequently and I don't know the word profitably is a little dubious in my mind <laughs> with these kind of sales um, but gives vendors the option to sell very cheap cards um, more effectively without uh, people feeling like they would have to add a bunch of stuff they don't want to their cart to be able to check it no, was uh, so it was a handling fee if the total of the cart was under two dollars is that what it was I think it was something like that yeah because just a straight handling fee of $0.78 cents on every card under $2 would be a mess. Because uh, then you order like 30 fun. cards that are $1.40 each and add $0.78 cents to each of them, it would be miserable. I'm assuming that's not what it was. I'm just booting up their uh, press center here. Yeah, so this is the part of the podcast where I fast forward and put some fun music in while we try and read this email. Yeah, so here's the deal. Orders under $5 will have $0.78 cents added for shipping costs to help cover the cost of a stamp envelope and top loader, but you can also purchase sub-$2 cards now more easily. Which makes sense, because it was... I have encountered it where it's annoying where I can't just buy the one damn card. Yeah, hmm. so the example they gave was a buyer adds a $0.25 cent card to their cart. The seller offers free shipping, but the cart is less than $5, so the buyer will see that they need to add $4.75 in products from that seller to their cart if they want to get free shipping. If they prefer, they can choose to purchase just that card and pay the $0.78. Cents. Which is still funny because if you're the seller, you still have to put a single card in an envelope for $0.78. Cents. Yeah. Uh, so people... And what's this down? Are they... I buy them I buy them in rolls, and I don't remember. I think they're like $0.44 cents now or something like that. So you're getting forty cents some or some profit on that card, and that doesn't include the stamp 
and certainly not the not the sleeve, not the hard loader, and certainly not your time. Yeah, and up here my stamps are a dollar, so like this whole thing just seems ridiculous to me. People were talking about it in the Discord, and I said, "Listen, like, do yourself a favor, and unless you're running some major uh, a store with a ton of bulk or whatever, just stay specs under ten dollars. <laughs> like, if you can get playsets of something where the playset is eight, and you can sell it for forty later, you're doing just fine. But if you're trying yeah. to turn quarters into you know, dollars with EDH cards. Like you just buy the foils and save yourself the trouble. They'll hit a tipping point much faster. Yeah. Ship less stuff, spend less time and make more money. There are cards that I will buy that are under a dollar as a spec. I do it sometimes too. But it's all, yeah, but it's only if my expectation is that I'm going to get to sell it as a play set. Uh, or if the demand, or if someone will just buy all of buy them at once, thing. like a, a channel yeah, fireball. Yeah. So like I bought, uh, oh God, what was it? Some white instant. I, it's not, I want to say restore balance, but it's not that, uh, restored faith, something, some form on a spell. And it was like 25 cents. And I bought a bunch of them because I was like, oh, well, if this combo deck takes off, they will be like $3 a piece. And then I can sell play sets for tw- 10, 12, 15. And now, you know, I pay 25 cents each. That's really good. But. And generally, I especially I won't do it for an EDH check. It's really only modern cards. Then, of course, that one spell is reprinted and still like ten cents. Or for instance, your one of your specs recently, Foil Blood Artist. Um, uh, yeah. You were talking about Zulaport Cutthroat. Can't remember which which of the two, but we discussed both. Um, but Blood Artist from Eternal Masters, I picked up maybe ten or twelve copies at like less than a dollar. That are you can now buy list for two something. It, those kind of situations mm-hmm. are fine, yeah. but. Yeah, just steer clear of cheap cards. It's going to make your life easier. Okay, let's uh, let's wrap up here. James, where can our listeners find you? You guys can find me, as per usual, at MTG Critic on Twitter, as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com. And I am a frequent contributor to the MTGPrice.com Discord Pro Trader channels. And I am Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I do the Watchtower series every Monday on mtgprice.com, and I am a less frequent but better contributor to the mtgprice.com oh. Discord. Oh. Value value oh per words per minute. I mean, somebody just repasted wow. one of my articles from 2016 in, and I read my old article. I'm like, this is a really good article. This counts as me contributing <laughs> to the Discord, this article I wrote three years ago. Uh, one of my articles was listed as well. Yeah, but I didn't read that one. Don't, don't, don't get too excited. <laughs> the um, <laughs> all right. uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mdgprice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic together. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of episode 150. Four, one fifty-five, one fifty-five. Uh, I enjoyed our chatting this week, James, and I will see you next week. Good to see you this weekend at GP Toronto, Travis, and uh, see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.